Hi, I'm Mai Fernandez, the Executive Director of the National Center for Victims of Crime. The National Center is committed to serving all victims of crime through advocacy, training, assistance, and research. We help victims, their families, and their communities rebuild their lives after experiencing trauma. Every year, we host the National Training Institute in conjunction with the National Crime Victim Bar Association. This year, the Training Institute will take place from December 4th through 6th in Denver, Colorado. This conference brings victim service advocates, law enforcement personnel, allied practitioners, policy makers, researchers, and other like-minded professionals from across the country together. Conference attendees spend their days learning from presenters during the plenaries and workshops. This year, we have more than 80 victim-centered research-informed, practice-based training scheduled. Today, we will be highlighting the work of Linda Milanese and Florida Alarcon. They'll be presenting at the National Training Institute on how crisis response canines can assist survivors after incidences of mass violence and terrorism. We have two very special guests on our podcast today, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Linda, would you like to start? Sure. Um, I'm Linda Milanese, and I'm the CEO and President of Assistance Dogs of the West, located in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I've been working here since 2006, but our agency is 25 years old. Thank you, Linda. And Florida, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello, I'm Florida Alarcon. I'm the Victim Services Chief for the San Bernardino County District Attorney's Office Bureau of Victim Services. I've been with the office for the last 21 years and was appointed as the Victim Services Chief eight years ago. So we're talking about assistance dogs today. Linda, can you tell me how long you've been working with assistance dogs of the West? I've been working with Assistance Dogs of the West since 2006. I started out as an instructor trainer. And the reason why we make that distinction is because we teach people and we train dogs. And for more than 25 years, we've had a very extensive student training program, which uh, is an important part of what our dogs are exposed to during their professional training years, and that's with elementary school kids and middle school kids, high school kids, uh, youth with disabilities, and veterans. And all of those populations work with our dogs during their two years of professional training. And how about you, Florida? How long have you been working with the assistance dogs? I've been working with um, ADW for the last six years. Okay, great. Um, your presentation is about your program called Crisis Response Canines. Can you give us a little bit of a teaser about what you're going to be sharing at the National Training Institute with the rest of the audience? Linda, would you like to start? Sure. Well, oh, sorry. Um, so for, for us, we're the agency that supplies the dogs. And we will be showing people um, what it takes to actually train and create one of these amazing crisis response canines. So 
there are puppies, which is always really, really fun, and you'll see a video about that. And our Puppy Enrichment Center um, also will show some footage about our student training program. And we'll talk about the qualities that go into making these dogs for the professionals that are working, either responding to a mass casualty incident or working in the investigation and prosecution of a crime. That sounds incredible. I can't wait to see the puppies. Florida, did you want to add to that? Sure. So I'm going to be sharing about the development of our Special Victims Canine Program and how we implemented it in the office and through the courts as well as the community. That sounds wonderful. And are you going to be bringing a dog with you? I will be. I'll be bringing the victim advocate slash dog handlers. I'll, there'll be two of them and also our canine Lupe and canine Dozer will be there with us as well. Well, they'll be our special guests. They sure will be. Yeah. So, and then, and then the, four, the fourth person who is going to join us um, for the presentation is one of our handlers from the FBI, who's on a rapid deployment team, and she'll be bringing Wally, another crisis response canine. I've met Wally in the past. Wally's awesome. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, Wally and Gio. And uh, Gio is actually Lupe's brother. Oh, wow. That's terrific. Um, so what's a typical day for you guys in the office? Well, um, for us at Assistance Dogs of the West, because we have usually 25 canines at our training center, there almost isn't anything that you could say is a typical day. We do have certain classes that we do every week, like for instance, Monday, we do the Warrior Canine Connection, which is our program with veterans. Um, but at our training center this morning, we just, uh, we just did assessments of our 11-week-old puppies, which we always have puppies, which is really, really cute. We have dogs in training at all different stages of their development and their, their, um, their training protocol. So our trainers... Each trainer has a string of dogs that they work with every day. We have clients that come in from all over the country almost every day. And so our typical day is pretty atypical, mostly because our product is a sentient being um, of beautiful canines that are kind of um, in the midst of their process of meeting their people and deciding their careers and getting along with their with their future life. And Florida, how about you? Is well, there any, for, anything for that's me, typical about your day? So mine, uh, mine typically doesn't involve having a lot of interaction with our canines, unfortunately. And so I'm more of managing the grant reporting and handling um, the upkeep of our contracts. But I can tell you for our canine unit uh, what their typical day is like. Uh, they're going to they're going to be out and about in the community, perhaps providing um, a presentation on our unit. They can be providing support to children who are being interviewed in preparation and for trials. We also have, um, the, at times, if a trial is scheduled, then the advocates are actually participating in court with the 
dogs in tow, and they're providing support um, to the children while they're actually testifying in court. So their, their um, day is going to be varied depending on what is happening on their caseload. So what do you think is the biggest contribution your canines make to people who are either have been victimized or are survivors of a crime or are going through the criminal justice process? What do you think are some of the greatest benefits the canines provide? One of the main things that we have seen is how children feel when they're part of our criminal justice system as far as feeling supported and empowered by having the canine there to provide support to them while they're actually having to go through the, the process of testifying in front of people that they're not familiar with as well as um, sitting through the meetings with the deputy DAs when they're being prepared for court. So we have seen that th these kids, their outcome is so much better as far as the way they view the system and how they're able to describe to us afterwards what stood out for them. And it's typically gonna be that they had the dog in court with them and that the dogs were able to help them talk about what happened to them. That's, that seems like an incredible benefit that these dogs can give. How about during a mass casualty? Have you seen the dogs being really able to help those who have just gone through this terrible situation? Yes, we have. Um, we, so how I got to know um, Stacy from the FBI is after we had the uh, terrorist shooting here in San Bernardino on December 2nd, 2015, our canine unit had the opportunity to work with the FBI's canine unit, and so they were out providing support to the families and the surviving victims at the Family Assistance Center, as well as uh, accompanying the FBI out in the field to the various hospitals to meet with um, some of the surviving victims and provide some support to them while they're whether they were in the hospital or they were being seen um, at the Family Assistance Center. And it, and it wasn't only there, they've also been able to provide support to students at one of our local elementary schools where we had a, um, a actual school shooting. It was domestic violence related. And so the uh, dogs were deployed to provide support to the children while they waited at a relocation center. And then again, when the children were, were brought back to be reunited with their parents, they were able to provide support to, to the kids, as well as um, when, they, when we had the um, Route 91 Harvest Festival shooting in Las Vegas. That was in um, October of 2017. The canine unit also had the opportunity to once again work with the FBI canine unit and provide support to various um, surviving victims at the hospitals and at the uh, family assistance center. So they've they've been um, exposed to quite a bit of uh, different environments and they've done a really excellent job in providing the much needed support that people have needed. Linda, is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Um, I think one of the things that is uh, really important and what we hear from our colleagues like Florida and, and from the handlers is that the dogs also provide a lot of care for the staff. These are 
you know, these are amazing people who are handling these dogs. And as they go through these very uncertain circumstances, like a mass casualty uh, incident, the dogs also provide care for them so that they can do their work in a really amazing way. And we hear that over and over and over again, how important that is. So not only are they helping the survivors and the victims, they're also helping the people who are handling them. Absolutely. Absolutely. What would you say is the most important thing to teach, to train the dogs? You said you train dogs and you teach human beings. I like that distinction. What's the most important thing or series of things that you have to teach the dogs, that, to train the dogs? Well, I, think, I think one of the things that, um, and this is something that we will talk about, one of the things that people underestimate is that every dog doesn't want to do this job. And so we have a very specific breeding and training protocol and as we go through that, we can identify the dogs that have the resiliency and um, the ability to work in these kinds of, of circumstances. And so um, I think that that's part of, uh, part of something that's extremely important. We breed for a specific temperament and for very specific qualities, and that includes things like resilience, um, a quality called biddability, which means we can go into a event and if the dog has been handled by me the whole time, that's fine. But if I have to handle a dog that I've never put my hands on their leash, that dog, because I know their language, that dog will work for me too. So I think um, not only is the professional training and, and our dogs are trained for a minimum of 18 to 24 months by our professionals. They have more than 1,500 hours of professional training on them, along with all those student populations that I mentioned before that reinforce those cues and provide um, different types of uh, experiences for the dogs because students um, don't have the same emotional regulation, timing, abilities. So all those different student populations uh, add to the complexity of that foundation training. And so these dogs are very fluent in understanding um, environments. And they're also, they're trained with positive reinforcement, so they love to learn. And so, and they have very strong relationships with human beings from the moment they're born they're caught by human hands. And so these are dogs that will really try. They're intelligent. They're emotionally full of unconditional love. They know how to learn. They know how to problem solve. They've been encouraged to be the personality that they are under the guidance of a really good leader. Thank you. That was really helpful. Um, so my last question is for both of you. Um, if there are people in our audience um, at NTI that wish to create a canine um, program such as yours, what are some of the things to get started? 
what are the first steps that an agency would have to take to start creating a canine, um, a canine program? So for us here um, in San Bernardino County, what I would recommend for them to do is to talk to their county risk management because there are certain things that you have to make sure you have in place prior to starting a program. And so that would be a start and then going with the um, human resources because you have to also look at the, um, the assignment for the, the victim advocates and making sure that it's in compliance with, with their memorandum of understanding and anything. They'll help guide you as far as what you need to include in the job description. And then um, as far as doing the research on what is best for your agency, for us, um, I was fortunate enough to connect with Linda and Jill from Assistance Dogs of the West to start looking at the various programs of why the facility dog and not an emotional support dog or a therapy dog. And so just questions that I had in, in doing my research. And then um, as far as implementing it, um, I would suggest that the, the providers talk to other agencies that have already developed their program. Most are willing to share their best practices and lessons learned. I certainly would be happy to share that information because I think it definitely was helpful for us to have the guidance that we had with ADW so that my program would be successful when, once we implemented it. And that took at least a couple of years to get it up and running. Well, and from our point of view, um, I would like to say that Florida went about building her program in a really um, measured and careful way, which we have a deep respect for, because again, I think people underestimate um, how much it takes to make a working pair, what kind of commitment a handler has to have in order to make a great team with a really amazing canine these dogs know more than 90 verbal cues wow and so they not only have to learn their language and what the behaviors are that are associated with that language but all the navigational skills the intellectual learning the kinetic learning and the emotional responsibility of taking care of a very very special canine and so i have a deep respect for florida she picked handlers who were really really committed and who understood that taking on a canine was a, a great deal of responsibility. And we built the program slowly, and we allowed the dogs to make their transition to San Bernardino from our training center in a very slow and measured way. She also brought in her other staff members so that they felt included and understood that these canines are part of your working team. You know, these are not pet dogs. These are serious professionals being handled by professionals. And so everybody has to abide by a certain set of protocols so that the dogs and the handlers can be successful. And Florida really did an exemplary job, and we often refer new people to her program. Well, thank you both. Um, we're really looking forward to seeing you at the National Training Institute in Denver. Um, I can't wait to see the dogs and I really look forward to your presentation and to learning even more about 
how we can figure out how to use canines in the victim services field even more than we're using it now. So thank you again and look forward to seeing you in a couple of months. You're welcome. And we we'll look forward to pleasure. seeing you too. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. To register for the National Training Institute in Denver from December 4th through 6th, please visit our website at www.victimsofcrime.org. That's www.victimsofcrime.org. Thank you.